This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 262 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy, we're back with a full-length episode. Of course, last week was full-length, technically, but we used a Patreon episode, so it wasn't an original. We did. This is one that nobody's heard. Good. Also tonight, we're going to have Bob and Brittany on. From the Tales from the Dark podcast, they will also be at our live uh, fifth year birthday event. Oh, I know! I'm so excited, so excited about so, that. And this is this is a fun one. You guys will, will like this one. First, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you, guys, gals, and service animals for everything that you do. Yes, God bless you guys so much. Um, praying for you still every single day, and can't wait till everybody gets to come home and you know just. Thank you again for protecting us. We appreciate you so much. Also, uh, you know, it's never goes away. It the, just the stories that are endless that people send us talking about the struggles they've had, the news articles that that pop up every day whether it be Facebook or whether it be uh the actual news sources out there of people that are just struggling every single day for various reasons. Uh, I know some of our family members are struggling with a, a death, a funeral that, that went on yesterday. Um, I know they're struggling right now with, with coping with that. And it's, you know, it's tough. Everybody's got something going on. But we just want you to know that you've got somebody you can lean on if you need to. You can lean on us specifically. You can lean on the group. And if you would rather um, stick with something that's a little more anonymous, maybe you feel embarrassed, which you should never do. Never. And you'd rather call somebody anonymous. We've got the suicide hotline, which is? It's 1-800-273-8255. You can also text at 741-741. Please reach out, guys. We're always here for you. We'll do our best to help. Absolutely. Before we get started, um, I guess I need to... I uh, apologize about something. We, well, we got a review. Uh, 90% of it was wonderful. 10% of it was the truth. And it was about me. So I just feel like I need to apologize to the listeners. Um, she called me out about Jerry will be telling the story and for some reason, I'll just have some random question. It's like I wasn't listening. So my mind does wander. I won't lie. I have looked down at my phone a few times. I won't lie about that. But you guys deserve the best that I can give you. So I feel like I need to apologize to you. Also, I need to apologize to Jerry 
because he works his butt off and he takes a lot of time researching these stories. And, you know, I should be listening more. I mean, it's like I listen, but then my mind wanders away for a minute. So, you know, there's no excuse. You guys deserve the best from this show. And I intend on doing that from now on. So I just wanted to say I'm sorry. And that uh, the person that called me out on it, kudos. I'm glad you did. Because I just needed to say that. And just, you know, you all deserve that. And I just don't want you all to be disappointed. So that's all I have to say. Well, I personally feel like that that was not necessary. I will give you kudos for feeling like it was necessary. Uh, it's it's hard. It doesn't matter what we're doing. It's hard to sit and be 100% attentive to what somebody's saying for 30, 40 minutes straight. You know, I would be lying if I said that every time I've seen, done an interview with somebody that I didn't have instances where my mind wandered off or something. It's just, it's hard to keep focus for that long period of time well i mean and i appreciate you saying that but you know these our listeners are just so wonderful and so giving and so understanding and have been there for us so many times i just felt like i don't want to let them down i just don't and um, i just want to say that i'm really sorry and um i'm going to do my best to keep you guys entertained, but even if it is the dumb stuff I say, but you know, I just felt like I, from the heart, I needed to say that to you guys. Well, I feel like sometimes you say stuff that might be not a hundred percent on the topic of what we were doing, but sometimes I think that's the best of the show. I think sometimes when you make a comment about, I don't when I'll go through the whole story about something to do with something that happened at a school. And then you'll ask, well, I wonder what kind of lipstick she had in her, the purse that was found or something. I mean, to me, that's funny. And I think most people would probably agree that even though that's not the question that they would have expected, it was, it's still funny. So. Well, I appreciate that. I just, it's really bothered me all night long. And, you know, I just wanted to tell you guys, I love you and I'm sorry for it. Well, we're not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to dwell on it. Uh, I, I personally thought that the review was a little harsh for, for what it was, but it is what it is. That's just the world we live in. And, and you know, it, the, like you said, 90% of the review was good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but they gave a one star for something that 90% was good. It just, it's just, I don't, I don't understand the logic in some people, but no, okay. it's what it is. All right, Tracy. For those of you out there who like the UFO stuff, here's your one episode this year. <laughs> <laughs> and he ain't playing. I know there's been a lot of alien talk that's going on uh, the last six months. Uh, the government's finally starting to admit some stuff. The U.S. military is, has seen stuff. They've captured stuff on film, that, that sort of thing. And they've openly said, hey, we really can't explain what it is. They've still stopped short, though, of saying that these are, I guess, aircraft from another planet or space or whatever. I guess it's still progress, even though we all know that's what they are. Right. Well, maybe they do know it for a fact, but they're just too scared to say it. That's the whole thing. As I've said plenty of times on the show, I 100% believe that aliens exist, and I think they visit this planet on a regular basis. My biggest issue with our government, and not just our government, the rest of the world's government, is they treat us like we're idiots when it comes to this stuff. Mm -hmm. And 
You know, they'll tell us that, oh, yeah, well, that aircraft was uh, some type of, you know, what is it, fog that was out there, swamp gas and all that, (laughs) weather balloons. And these, these are things, crafts, that are seen by credible forces. You know, our military or police officers or what these are, you know, sometimes seem like the whole Rendlesham Forest thing over in Great Britain. This was seen by our military. Mm-hmm. They know what they're looking at. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're that's not, what they're you know, trained to do. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's some top secret stuff that they haven't seen yet, they still know what's logical and what's not. And yeah, sometimes a random person would just see a strange light in the sky and and maybe that can be a case of mistaken identity. Mm-hmm. I can get that. But even Roswell, when that crash happened, they said it was a craft. They flat said it. And then they changed it a couple of days ago. Oh, it's a weather balloon. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a weather balloon? It looks nothing like a plane. No, not even a little bit. So it's frustrating. So anyway, I, I can get some of this stuff. But what I want to share with you tonight are some shorter stories that are definitely cases that the government tried to cover up, say it was swamp gas, say weather balloons, whatever the case was. And it was they were all seen by credible people, military, policemen, stuff like that. And all I want you to do is keep an open mind, listen to these stories, and at the end, tell me that you still don't believe that there are UFOs out there. Because I'm just going to share... Like three stories of thousands that are out there just like this. You know, like I said, I, I didn't go, I looked at a bunch of stories to pick out the ones that I really wanted to share because I don't want it to be a situation where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, but you p- picked out John and saw something in a distance that it could have been anything. Mm-hmm. I specifically went through these stories to find stuff to where you could say, well, hell, I. Don't see any other, uh, you know. Any other answer, any yeah. Any other answer than that it's a UFO. So, and they all had a large amount of witnesses in the ones mm-hmm. we're talking about. So, all right. So, this first story is from March 12th and 13th, technically. So, it was back-to-back nights. This happened in 1966, and it took place in Brazil, in Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, to be exact. A small group of soldiers, they were stationed just outside of Rio, So they spot this bright oval object just sort of hanging in the air. It was really close to a nearby factory. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it definitely has their attention. The officer that was in charge, and this is a long one, Colonel Jorge Alberto Silveira Martinez, was informed about it. He came out to check it out for himself. He wanted to see what was going on. He was amazed at what he saw. So he called the Brazilian Air Force. Now, their Air Force base was really close. It was nearby. So he thought maybe they would know what they were looking at. Mm -hmm. Well, no. The Air Force said, we have no idea what we're looking at. And, And the base's radar tower operator not only didn't have a clue, they don't know how it got in there. Without, them Without alerting the yeah. the uh, radars and stuff like that on base. He was very concerned to see that the colonel obviously was kind of, you know, Baffled. I guess panicked uh-huh. a little bit. So 
He called the command post. The colonel called the command post in Rio to express his concern and said, hey, the Air Force has no clue what the hell's going on. I need you to try to help help me out here in some way, shape, or form. So his commander sent some troops over to the facility to put the colonel at ease. He didn't really know if he believed what was going on, but he said, at least I could do is send some extra men over Right, yeah. So that's what they did. Right before the troops showed up, which was about 30 minutes after first seeing this object, the object started to decrease decrease in brightness, and it just sort of disappeared. So by the time the troops get there... So like a, an invisible mode or something? Right. But by the time the troops got there, there was nothing there. Oh, man, that sucks. And that always happens, don't it? Yeah. So that was probably good for the ship, though, because the troops that had came, they were showing up equipped with anti-aircraft ammunition. Mm-hmm. So they were ready to do some shooting down or something if they needed to. Several minutes after this thing disappeared from the sky... It reappeared about a mile and a half away. Again, though, it disappeared before the troops could get there. They got in there. But they saw it? No. No, they didn't see it reappear? No, I think somebody reported it. Oh. So they get in their vehicles, and they take off to go try to find it, and it was gone again when they get there. The next night, though, it showed up again, and it caused great panic amongst the troops. I hadn't mentioned this before, but the troops actually, even though they had this anti-aircraft ammunition, they were under strict orders to only shoot at this craft if they were fired upon first. Oh. Several of the troopers had to be physically restrained to prevent them from firing on this object that obviously caused them great concern. They were, in, they like I said, they were in panic mode. Again, this is military personnel. They know what they're looking at, and they know this is not normal. Mm-hmm. Every man that was gathered there watched as the object got brighter and brighter to the point that it became uncomfortable for them to look at for any length of time. Mm. Almost like trying to stare into the sun. Right. So that was the plan. It would occasionally shoot out intense beams of light that left visible scars on most of these men. Oh, my gosh. Now, if, you, uh, if you're a member of um, our Patreon, we did a couple of stories uh, yesterday and today. And one of those stories involved up in uh, Indiana to where there was an object in the sky. And it was shoot out a beam of light. Yeah. And it actually was burning the skin of the people that it hit. And then it showed up again in Brazil. Same as this. Different, different year. But... The same place as in Brazil, it showed up down there and they had the same thing. It was burning mm-hmm. people with their beams of light. So, so this is, you don't hear a lot of UFO stories to where people get burned. I know we've done one of them on here, the the one really famous one um, down in the south that had that same situation. But So that's what was happening here. This thing was scarring men with the beams it hit. This continued until it disappeared for good later that night. When the troops were questioned by their superior the Air Force, and uh, the radar station, each soldier said that they felt that this object that they witnessed was a craft from another planet. So why didn't they open fire then? And that's not a good enough reason to open fire with the laser beam shooting on them? Well, I don't guess they considered that to be shooting. But it was scarring and burning them. I guess, but I don't think they considered that. could have just been like... I think what the whole thing here was is they wanted to make sure... That this craft wasn't a U.S. military 
experimental craft, mm. and they shoot it down and find out that they just shot down an experimental yeah. craft. Yeah, oh, well, I mean, I get you that. You know, or maybe another, you know, country. it could have been anything, but I guess they wanted to make sure that if you're not being physically threatened by it, leave it alone, you know, or who knows? I mean, to me, that would be physical. I mean, I would have been threatened by that. Well, I'm sure. Searing my skin off. <laughs> like that tree. Oh, yeah. The next story is from April 25th, 1966. So I moved these up a little bit in dates. It involves the governor of Florida at the time, Hayden Burns. He was on a flight from Orlando to Tallahassee making some campaign stops. Mm -hmm. I guess this was right about the time that Mm -hmm. he was up for re-election. There were several members of the media on board this plane, as well as some of the government officials. So okay. the plane was, it's a private plane, but it's got yeah. a lot of people on it, you know, at least, right. you know, a dozen or so. They were cruising at about 6,000 feet, and they were right around the Ocala area. The governor's executive assistant, Frank Stockton, Florida State Police Captain Nathan Sharon, and several newsmen were all enjoying the flight in this private plane when the governor was called to the cockpit over the intercom by the pilot. Once he gets to the cockpit, the co-pilot, Herb Bates, he points out an object that he had first noticed back when they took off in Orlando. The pilot, the co-pilot, and the governor watched two bright yellow globes flying side by side at the same pace as the airplane for several minutes by the starboard wing. The governor he wanted a better look. So he asked the pilot if he can turn into the lights. The governor then went back into the cabin and he informed all the others that were that were on board the plane that they were being followed by a UFO and that he had ordered the pilot to give chase. Oh my gosh. Just imagine. What in the world? Imagine you're in a, a small plane and a governor comes out and says, hey, we're being followed by a UFO and I told the pilot to give chase. Okay, can the governor do that? Well, I, I guess it was his plane. I guess he can. I guess the pilot could could have overruled him if he wanted to and said, uh, um, I think that sounds a little dangerous. And yeah. I would probably rather not do that. Mm-hmm. And you need to be, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and Tallahassee. So. But, but that, did they do it? Well, yes. So they give chase. As they turn, they got a better look at the object. The governor said that it looked like two crescent-shaped objects that were connected by a central bridge. Oh, so I'm kind of thinking like X-Wing fighter type mm-hmm, deal from mm-hmm. Star Wars. Yep. Because I would think that they were fairly small. So that's kind of that's kind of what I'm thinking. He said the object reacted to the plane when it started encroaching in their airspace and then proceeded to shoot straight up out of sight in the blink of an eye. Oh, my Lord. Well, that should have been proof. Right. Well, the acceleration and the straight-up maneuver combined with the shape of the craft impressed all of the witnesses on the plane. Two of the people on board were newspaper moguls, one by the name of Bill Mansfield. He was from the Miami Herald. The other was Dwayne Bradford from the Tampa Tribune. Both saw the object, and they had a new view on UFO existence after this. Mansfield said that there was definitely something up there that night, and that everyone saw it, and what they saw has yet to be explained even today. 
Bradford, the other um, newspaper mogul, he said that he no longer thought that the whole UFO thing was a laughing matter, mm-hmm. as he did before. So Sometimes you just have to see it to believe it. So again, I'm, I'm pointing out, this first group of people were military. Mm-hmm. The second group was a governor, a chief of police, and a, and a bunch of other people who kind of, you know, were... Had, they were credible because they they stood the risk of being made out to be crackpots and maybe losing their careers sure. by pointing out a mm-hmm. UFO. And then you've got a pilot and a co-pilot who all saw the same thing. So. Yeah. All right. This last one's a little bit longer story. It starts in Peekskill, New York on June 14, 1984. It's going to involve a police officer named Steve, and that's not his real name. He went anonymously. Mm-hmm. But... They called him Steve in the research I was doing, so we're going to call him Steve. He worked for the New York State Power Authority, and this takes place at the Indian Point Nuclear Power Plant. The officer was making his normal rounds when, in a distance, he saw an odd grouping of lights. He wasn't exactly sure what it was, but he knew that it was heading towards the power plant. I don't need to tell older people Younger people may not get this, but I don't need to tell older people that there used to be a huge fear of nuclear power plants mm-hmm. in this country. And and most of that, we'll get into it a little more, was the, the Three Mile Island thing up in New York. And here, this was up in New York, and this is only like five years later. So, from uh, that incident, Three Mile Island, which was a nuclear, complete nuclear meltdown that caused radioactivity everywhere, and it just freaked everybody oh, out. Oh, yeah, so scary. Right. So anyway, these these lights were white with a yellowish hue, and the lights were uh, sectioned out to where it was shaped like a giant boomerang. Mm-hmm. He watched these lights for about 10 minutes. He then noticed at least 10 workers at the Consolidated Edison facility that was next door also watching the craft as it approached. Now, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, it has nothing to do with the story, but... The number 10 comes up a thousand times in this story because it was 10 lights. It was 10 people watching. He watched it for 10 minutes. It keeps coming up in the story. I just found it funny. (laughs) It was now less than a mile away from the nuclear power plant, which, by the way, is in restricted. That's restricted airspace. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, of course. So Steve radioed all the employees in the plant, and he told them about this approaching craft. Two other police officers responded to the call. All three of them and some of the power plant employees spent the next 20 minutes watching this aircraft. 20 I mean, it minutes. Would, it would be glimpse. hard. Yeah, but it would be hard to take your eyes off something like that. But I mean, a lot of times with these stories, you know, oh, I saw something that was really quick and it shot out. Yeah, and I but it just kept hovering yeah, they, around. They watched this thing for 20 minutes. Yeah. A bunch of them. The object slightly hovered over one of the power plant buildings. It had 10 lights forming the boomerang shape, as we said, but this is what everybody else responded to, too. The lights were steady and intense. They were so bright that they made the security floodlights on the building go off. So the building's floodlights thought it was daylight. Daylight. Oh, wow. They estimated that the ship was bigger than a football field, and that the lights were at least 10 times brighter, see, 10 times, mm-hmm. than the built-in security lights. 
Well, I, mean, I guess you have to have good lights while you're floating around up there. <laughs> I guess so. The ship dwarfed the eight-story building that it was now hovering over. Then it slowly started kind of drifting toward Peekskill and out of sight. Now, I said this takes place in Peekskill. It's just a little bit outside of Peekskill, mm-hmm. but that was the closest place. So it now starts drifting towards Peekskill. Officer Steve was asked if this could have possibly been a formation of small planes, and he answered with a resounding, a no. (laughs) Steve had flown helicopters in the military, and he was well aware of how much noise a formation of even light planes would make. The craft that they had been watching was 100% silent. That is incredible. How do you pull that off? I wonder. Well, I mean, I'm going to sound like I know what I'm talking about when I really don't. But the reality of it is, if aliens or the military or whatever have uh, the ability to make something that runs completely off battery, it can be quiet. You take a car like today, like a Prius. A Prius really doesn't make hardly any noise because it runs off a battery. The noise from a car and the noise from a plane comes from the combustible engine. Oh, you got that off the office. I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. I know it was on the office. Oh, because Andy was sneaking up on... uh, But I'm saying, but Priuses are are known... No, I mean, that makes sense. I guess I just don't... So I'm thinking that some of these are so advanced that they're not using any type of a combustible engine. Mm -hmm. So that's why they don't make noise. Okay. That would make sense. That does make sense, actually. Aside from the lack of sound, there were some other things that come into play. For example, the wind that evening was about 25 miles per hour, and it was blowing the entire time. It was one of those nights where it was really, really windy. No light planes or helicopters could have flown in that tight of a formation with that kind of wind going. Hmm. It would have been tough. But what really convinced him that this was one large object is the fact that he saw a plane flying several thousand feet above this. You know, just there was, I guess, a regular plane flying by. As it flew over top of it, you could see the plane kind of disappear from sight. And then when it came on past the other side, then you could see the plane again, which meant this was a solid object that just blocked the view. And if it had been a whole bunch of little planes making it up, you would have been able to see... The plane the whole time. So I wonder if that plane reported that as they was flying over it. Hell, they probably wouldn't even see it. There's probably cloud cover or something. I mean, oh. I don't know. They might not even be able to see it. But once it passed the UFO and he could see it, seen it before, mm-hmm. he seen it afterwards, he knew that that was one solid dark object that was blocking it. So it couldn't have been a group of planes. Also, when the ship left for the evening, it pivoted as if it was on like a central axis. It just turned Without making like a U-turn type deal, it just spun. Oh my gosh. And took off. And he said light planes... That's amazing. ...would have had to have made a wide turn to be able to leave, and this didn't. So, they definitely would not be able to hover like this ship did mm-hmm. in one spot. All right. Five weeks later, July 25th, Officer Steve was again at work at the Indian Point Power Plant. Another guard puts out a radio call that the UFO is back. This time, all available personnel, including two supervisors, raced outside to see the object. Steve noticed that it was coming from the exact same direction as it had five weeks earlier. 
This night, though, the lights were not steady, and they weren't one color like on the last visit. On this night, the lights were blinking, and they changed in a color from white to yellow to blue. As the craft approached, the only nuclear reactor that was active that night. Steve noticed that as the ship came closer, there was a blinking red light in back of the light that formed the point on the front of the boomerang shape. Mm -hmm. So just picture like the triangle part, that top one. There was a blinking light past there. It slowly passed over the top of everybody there at about 500 feet. It moved slow enough that the men could actually walk and keep up with the pace. (laughs) One of the officers in the control center tower, which was 95 foot tall, aimed a camera toward the object. It was so large that the officer had to pan the camera 180 degrees just to be able to fit the entire object into the view. That's um, that's pretty crazy. Everyone that night said that the lights were definitely attached to a huge object and not several smaller objects flying in a formation. As soon as the craft passed over the east gate entrance to the uh, reactor number three, all security systems went offline, including the computer that controlled the security device and communication. Whoa. Well, that's scary. One of the supervisors became extremely nervous because this huge object was about 35 feet away from a working nuclear reactor. He jumped on the phone to call the New York National Guard Command at Camp Smith to see if they could identify what was over Indian Point. They could not. All they could do was sit and hope that the object would leave like it had five weeks earlier. Okay, I'm going to say something that's probably going to be stupid. Is there any way you can just, like, shut down a nuclear reactor? Not quick like that. Not quick enough? No, because it has to cool down and all that. That's the whole thing. Mm. It's a a big, long process. Yeah, okay. Got that off the Simpsons. I'm just kidding. At this time, luckily, the craft did a 180-degree turn and slowly began to drift back to the direction from which it had come. The following day, all of the officers at the facility had been informed that nothing had happened the night before. (sighs) And this was the official story that they would stick to. That is so crazy. Indian Point was a controversial plant to begin with, so it was important to keep this story under wraps. As we mentioned... This was just five years after the Three Mile Island incident, and everybody was scared to death to have a nuclear reactor anywhere near them. Because, yeah, I don't blame you know, them. If it goes down, you know, well, you, for example, all you got to do is just look up what happened in Chernobyl mm-hmm. in Russia when theirs went down. And then uh, all you got to do is look at what happened in Japan during the tsunami because they had a nuclear reactor meltdown during the tsunami and everything so those are two more recent that you might be able to know but that same this was all back when it was brand new Mm -hmm. you know fairly new technology so people were scared to death so yeah they definitely did not want the word get out that that something was close to tampering to this thing or, or it would have been disaster as far as nobody would have ever wanted a nuclear reactor anywhere near them so the aliens i guess knew what that was i'm assuming and I'm what it, it's capable of. Because it's got all that power, that's probably that could be what drew them. 
Mm. You know, there's a lot of different stories about aliens, especially in New Mexico. Uh, there's a, so many different alien stories, or I should say more UFO stories in New Mexico, because there's a lot of nuclear testing that goes on out mm. there. And they think that's what draws a lot of that activity. And you'll, you'll, you'll see these things show up. Reynolds from Forest, an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll show up over these uh, bases that have a lot of missiles and nuclear uh, warheads and stuff. They tend to show up there like it draws them. So who knows? Maybe mm. their maybe their purpose is to make sure that those things don't get launched, and you know whatever the deal is, maybe that's mm-hmm. it's a safety thing, and we just don't realize it. it. Could be, or maybe they're just drawn to it because it's a lot of power. Yeah, and, you know. Oh, I mean, that would make sense. So anyway, the the last thing anybody wanted wanted to think about is there some kind of aliens that try to attack this nuclear reactor that could cause some major mm-hmm. major damage for years to come. At the very least, people would think there's a bunch of nut jobs up there running this reactor, and that could be just as bad. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, Jerry Colton, who was a local uh, radio personality, he got some information that the sighting was a hoax, and the perpetrators were a group of pilots that were flying light planes in a formation, and that the New York State Police had arrested the pilots. So that's what the story was. Okay. Which, by the way, in Hudson, in the Hudson Bay area, uh, in New York, also New York, that actually did happen on some things. There were some guys that flew in formation and stuff like that. But, and it was a prank, but that wasn't this situation. Okay, because I was going to say, if that's what they said, then the people... Or or like okay, what's the follow up? Are they getting are they getting arrested? Are they getting in trouble? Well, here's the thing: state police supposedly state police had arrested the pilots, but when researchers contacted the state police, state police didn't know anything about arrest of mm-hmm. pilots of small planes. Then of course this was because there were no pilots arrested. So did that? So that that leak out then? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so then but as I said. The government thinks we're stupid, and it's just, it, you know, it is what it is, and this is what we said it is, and it's over. Yeah. I mean, they're still saying it was a weather balloon at, uh, you know, Roswell back mm-hmm. in the 40s, mm-hmm. and it's just not the case. Everybody knows that's not the case. Yeah. And while we're on the subject of Roswell, Tracy, you and I stayed next to uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. We did. Last week when we went to John Fogarty concert. I mean, literally, we were right next to it. Oh, yeah, definitely. We had to enter the gates of the Air Force uh, station in order to turn to our hotel. Yeah, it was pretty cool seeing those planes and stuff out there. That's pretty cool. A lot of people think that in Roswell after the crash that there were aliens and stuff taken from the crash site, and a lot of people seem to think that they they were sent to Wright Patterson Air Force Base. So mm-hmm. who knows? We could have been staying next to aliens and just don't even know. I know it. That'd be cool. All right, guys. There's your UFO story for the year. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty interesting. But like I said, just take take a, some thought of, of that. Do a little research on your own and say, if there, if that's just three of thousands of stories, mm-hmm. how can you not think there's something else out yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, there's got to be something. There's got to be. Yeah. Anyway, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break from our sponsor. And then Tracy has is going to cover... Uh, couple of things with us and then i got a couple of things to cover and we'll have bob and Brittany on from tales from the dark sounds wonderful 
Well, hopefully people can hear over top of Ninja's extremely loud snore in this entire show. Well, I think he went for a walk how many times today? Once. Oh, just once? Oh, I thought it was more than that. (laughs) So, I was going to say, it probably wore him out. All right, so I want to cover a couple things uh, briefly. Still got the cruise going on. We have a whole page dedicated to HillbillyHorrorStories.com, along with our shows in Memphis, Galveston, Dallas. Those three are going on. We've got 10 tickets left for St. Augustine and a handful of tickets left for the uh, investigation we're doing at the lighthouse that the night before. Go ahead and snatch those up real quick, and let's make that thing a sellout. But coming up first, August 21st, Louisville, our five-year birthday show with... For Ohio, We Drink and We Know Things, and the recently added Tales from the Dark, which you guys will get to hear Bob and Brittany host in uh, just a few minutes. That's going to be fun. We'll have some special stuff there just because it's a birthday deal. We'll have some special merch sales and stuff like that going on. But uh, it's going to be fun. Can't wait. No, no, I can't wait. Man, it's going to be here before we know it, too. I know it. I mean, it's literally less than a month right now. Oh, yeah, definitely. Golly, it's summer's flown. Tracy, what do you got over there? Well, for iTunes this week, we had quite a few. Hey, Siri, YT, Cassie D, Michelle, Jenny Lynn, 22, BL Shepherd, Bird Dog, and Kaylin Dahl. Thank you, honey. You guys gave us some really nice reviews, and we appreciate y'all so much. Our Patreon this week was Wendy Raper. Thank you for your support. We appreciate you as well. And, you know, just keep bringing on those uh, reviews if you don't mind. We appreciate, and we read every single one of them. So. And also, I want to say, I'm not going to mention names, but we received three different emails this week from people that either said that, you know, basically that the show has helped them to get through uh, very tough times. We had someone that lost their husband a couple weeks ago, uh, unexpectedly, at like the age of 35. Oh, my gosh. And she was telling us that he had just recently started listening to the show. He didn't listen to podcasts, but he started listening to the show and he liked it. And that during this tough time, you know, she was able to use the show as kind of... uh, an escape from what's going on. And, uh, uh, you know, when you hear stories like that and some of the others that somebody had sent us one that said they reached out to get help mm-hmm. um, and get some counseling, and they probably wouldn't have done it if they hadn't heard it on the show, and eventually they just heard it enough or they just did it. Good. And then somebody else who said they were considering suicide and had decided not to, and they gave us some thanks for that. Guys, girls, anybody listening, all we can say is there is not a bigger compliment that we could ever get or a bigger, I don't know, sense of self-worth than hearing some of those things. And we are very privileged to be able to have an outlet to be able to reach so many people to where that can make a difference. And, you know, if we continue to do this show another five years, 10 years, it's going to be for that reason and not for money or not for any other reason. It's going to be for just knowing that we can make a difference sitting here telling ghost stories and making jokes. Yeah, that's why it's important to me that 
you know, I step up my game because this show does mean a lot to a lot of people, and you, that touches our hearts so much that you just don't realize. And we are so proud of you guys, and we love each and every one of you. And we just we just can't thank you enough for supporting us. So we are there to support you as well, any way we can. Amen. All right, let's listen to Bob and Brittany from Tales from the Dark. If you guys, I say this every time, and I think I say it during the interview. We recorded this about a month ago. But if we have a guest on, if you like what they do here, not only go listen and subscribe, because most of these shows that we have on are smaller shows, and they need a hand up, just like we needed a hand up, just like Tony and Jenny and mm-hmm. you know some others gave us. You know, Jim Harold, if uh, Diane from History Goes Bump, those three gave us the biggest hands up, or we wouldn't be where we're at today to mm-hmm. to do what we do. And you know, so that's why we bring these people on. If you like it, go listen to a couple of shows. If you like it, subscribe and leave them a review and tell them you heard us. You know, heard about them here, and uh, that that's a way for them to know that they're getting support. That's right. Help one another. That's what we got to do. All right, listen to Bob and Brittany real quick. Hey guys, I've got some super fun guests on tonight. I've got Bob and Brittany from Tales from the Dark on. And you might have heard me on their show. I posted a link to it. And some of you probably already listened to their show. If you do, you know that you're getting ready to be in for a hell of a ride. So buckle up. Bob, Brittany, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jerry. All right. So obviously I became aware of you guys through the Brohio podcast. Uh, You know, Bob's been on there a few times. And always, always a riot on there. He always gets uh, Nick. Nick's constantly talking about the response that they get every time Bob was on. And him and Brittany have been doing this since December. And uh, it's a really fun show. It's uh, it's not like for Ohio and it's not completely like our show. It is kind of that that relationship dynamic that me and Tracy have. But with a few more cuss words and a lot more traveling. So I think that's fair to say, right? Uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> that's that's a really good description. Yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on there, Jerry. <laughs> so I guess if you don't like cursing, there might be some that come out tonight. I'm just giving you the heads up, but I don't censor anybody. So I want people to be uh, who they are, and I want a true representation of their shows. So uh, let's do this, guys. Uh, let's first talk about your show. If you was to describe your show to somebody who's never listened to it, how would you describe it? It's basically, it's everything, if it's weird, we cover the high strangeness of the world with a real world element where it's not just, uh, you know, reading from the stories and talking about what other people do. We go and experience this stuff firsthand, whether that be running down the Kentucky Goblins and the TNT domes with Mothman, going to Moonville Tunnel and trying to figure out, you know, our alleged hay snake cryptid that somehow got launched. Uh, Basically, what we do is, is that that's our unique twist. We tell the, the history of the paranormal. We talk about, you know, fun, cool, crazy stories. But then we also have that twist of we're, we're actually in the shit, basically. We're there. We're doing our best to bring that history to life and either validate it or at least if we can't validate the paranormal side, we try and shine light on the historical side of these locations. Bob, tell me a little bit about you because you've had YouTube video channels and stuff in the past. Tell me a little bit about what you did on, on those videos. Yeah, so I've been in the the paranormal field itself basically my entire life, my entire from like eight years old to up. And then I started the the Tales from the Dark channel last September or so. And then we launched the actual podcast, Tales from the Dark, in December. And basically the, the whole 
purpose of the the YouTube channel was I, I was taking a look at a lot of, you know, we, they're called dark tubers. And I didn't feel like there was an accurate representation of the ufological side, the paranormal side from an actual personal point of view. So what I would do is tackle these topics and then kind of put my own personal twist on saying, okay, well, this is what I think it could be. This is historically what this has meant. Rather be, I, I guess the best example would be the Ouija board and the satanic panic videos I did. I was able to go through the history of both the Ouija board and the satanic panic, both things that are grossly misunderstood, but also explain growing up in small town, Ohio, how I felt those effects directly. And that's basically the whole purpose of the Tales from the Dark channel is just to get this interesting, weird history out there, but with a similar to the podcast, a more personable twist. Nice. So tell me how Brittany get in, got involved in all this. Brittany got roped in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, literally, it was like, hey, I'm going to be spending all of our extra money on camera equipment and audio equipment. You're either along for the ride or you're going to stay in the car. No, no. Here's how this actually <laughs> happens. Okay. So he, he comes home one day and we go upstairs and we, we go play League of Legends, which is strangely enough, actually how we met. But we go upstairs and he pulls up this article and he, lo- he turns it around in his computer chair and he looks at me. He goes, Brittany, I found something weird. I've been l- looking into it for a couple days. And this was actually Futel. This was our Futel days, which uh, if you guys don't know, it's basically this payphone company that had a lot of weird prompts, has a weird history. I've yeah. actually worked for nonprofits before. They had a weird money trail. Yeah. And it was interconnected with the, uh, the happy Valley Willamette Valley dream surveys. That's, that's what most people know when they, when, if, if you want to talk about Fatel, that's, that's what got us involved was this weird dream survey flyer going around Portland, Oregon. Yeah. So he brings us up. He said, Hey, I want to go see this payphone. I have a location. I found it in an article. It's a few hour drive. Can we go do it? And I said, all right, you find the, you find the equipment. You, you find that location and we'll take a trip and, and we'll take a chance on this because he he's always our entire relationship. He's talked about like when he used to go ghost hunting and things like that, but we never had an opportunity to actually go in and look into these weird things until then. Yeah. So I bring it up to Brittany and I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I want, I have this idea for a channel, but I've been waiting for the topic and an employee of mine and, and one of my best friends past like 10 years, Tyler Terry had been also getting back into the creative side of things when it comes to like independent filmmaking. And so he gave me some advice and some equipment. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I, we, we roped in a, a cop buddy of mine from Toledo and I said, Hey, come with us, come up here. We went and we went and checked it out. And it was in this weird location in Detroit. It was, it was literally one of the worst streets of Detroit. And we drove up in a challenger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, not, not the smartest move that we've ever made. Um, ended up having to come back. We had to get Detroit PD to actually give us an escort because we were, we were, we were going to get carjacked up here. The guy should have said he's shocked that it didn't happen the first time. Yeah. We got tailed. Um, I think there was also a working girl in the corner at that point. It was a very bad time, but the payphone was there. It yeah. was in the location. It was on the street. It was exactly where the article said it was going to be. And in the YouTube video that you actually have on YouTube, we recorded some of the prompts that we heard as well. Yeah. Super weird. And it just, exploded from there the weirdness everything just it was like we we set it on fire and it just exploded yeah and somehow within a few months we go from that to for you know cause it's kind of funny to see the evolution of you Brittany, and and these because there was a time where we would go down you know like, like i said we went from detroit to suddenly diving into cryptids and weird things we'd be in eastern kentucky like i'm not getting out of the car 
you, you can get out. I'm not getting out to now you're the first in with a lantern into a, a cave we've never been in before. Like, Hey, nope, I'm, I got this. Don't worry. And it's been weird to see that. Cause you, you, you change into like an actual paranormal investigator. And it's funny. Cause when I was on the Jim Harold show, we talked about like the professionals quote unquote of this, uh, this area area when it comes to, you know, paranormal uh, investigation, there's not really an expert or, or, or a professional. There's just a point where you're like, okay, I can use my imagination enough to, to bring this into, into existence more or less. And Brittany has that where I, whereas I'm more on the skeptic side, you're more on the, Hey, I grew up in the mountains. I heard all these stories. It's all real. You guys are idiots. <laughs> Why are you guys out in the middle of nowhere at three o'clock in the morning, trying to hunt down a skinwalker? This is not good for you to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. So, so Brittany, you grew up like kind of in, uh, say, a mountainous type area, right? Like uh, the Appalachians? Yes, sir. I grew up in Western North Carolina. So when it comes time to like, I know you guys have come to Somerset a few times. And if anybody has seen Hellier out there, they know Somerset plays a big role in that movie for all of the uh, quartz and and uh, limestone and everything that's out in that area. It's kind of a, a hub, so to speak, uh, paranormal wise, which is why the guys from Hellier, uh, well, and Dana, not just the guys, but, you know, why they showed up out there and you guys come there fairly often, correct? Yes. So we, we travel over to Somerset quite a bit, but we also go uh, back over to Eastern Kentucky as well. Uh, we started in hellier when we traveled to eastern kentucky yeah but it's basically that whole area now we've we've really gotten a wide radius of where we go in the eastern kentucky side yeah we made friends from as far over as like to the west virginia border over to lexington and been further yeah i thought it was funny talking to you guys earlier that you just to show the listeners out there how much you guys are into tracking stuff down you guys were in new orleans supposed to have been there for a week. You were three days in and Bob, tell me what happened three days into your vacation in new Orleans. So we, we try and go down there every Christmas because Ohio has horrible winters and we just want to get away. And we, we love the ambiance in new Orleans, the culture, everything down there. We just, we love it. So this last time we went down there and I had my Reddit notifications on, which was my first mistake. If you guys are independent <laughs> investigating, turn your Reddit notifications off. If you're vacationing. It'll definitely rope you right back in. <laughs> yeah. And I get this, uh, this, this notification pops up about this guy. I think it might've been on the hell your subreddit. And he's like, Hey, I was just at this cave in Somerset. He posted a picture of the cave. Didn't give a- any road, nothing. And he said, I was just there. I, I saw this weird, uh, you know, based a bunch of weird experiences when I was there, he describes everything perfectly. And we had had a very similar experience in, in a unreleased project. That's going to be coming out eventually. And I knew right away, like this guy experienced the exact same thing as us. We got to go. So we packed up, we rushed back to Ohio to basically check on our animals, uh, get, get the provisions we need. So we didn't have any of our like outdoor gear. gear. We had nothing with us. It was supposed to be an actual vacation. And as we're packing up, I get another notification on my phone that this piece of ghost hunting equipment that I've been looking for for years pops up on the marketplace and it's North of Detroit, Michigan. So within 24 hours, I drove from new Orleans, Louisiana, North of Detroit, Michigan, back to near Dayton, Ohio, back down to Somerset, Kentucky, all within like a 24-hour span, just to try and track down this phenomenon, try and run it back down and see, can we replicate the experience we had a couple months prior? So that's incredible to me that 
it shows dedication is what it shows. Uh, you know, you see something. I mean, that's how dedicated you are to finding answers to these questions that you'll drop a vacation in New Orleans, go all the way up to near Detroit to get a piece of equipment and then down to Somerset in a, in a span of 24 hours. That's incredible to me. That's just like, I can't imagine being that much of anything that we even do to where I would go to that level. Well, that and Tracy wouldn't allow me to go to that level. So <laughs> I, I mean, the, the amount of times Jerry that I've, I've gotten a, uh, what I would consider a plausible Mothman sighting. I'm like, Hey, Brittany, I know I just pulled a 12. We gotta go to point pleasant. No, we've, we've done that. Like <laughs> in the last two months, I think we've done it three different times yeah. now. Oh yeah. And, and the, we, we fell in love with the TNT area. There's a, a whole funny story of the first time we got lost in the TNT area looking for the domes, but uh, quite literally if something sparks my interest and I'm like, okay, this can't wait. Cause that, that's my biggest pet peeve with a lot of paranormal documentaries. It's, I got this email. I got this letter. I heard this story eight months ago. And then I went, it's like, no, go right now. Go where the phenomenon is and track this thing down yourself. Waiting six to eight months. Like, yeah, you might be a little bit more prepared, but the likelihood of you missing it goes through the roof. Because what I found, like just researching from the 1960s to now, these weird things seem to happen in pockets. You have a 72-hour window or 48-hour window, depending on what the phenomenon might be, rather be a Mothman sighting, a UFO, or what have you you don't have a large window. And if you're not willing to track it down and chase it down, you're probably never going to get the answers that you're looking for. And that's a big thing that we do on the Tales from the Dark side is like, we have no problem, you know, finishing up an episode, putting it up and being in the cars. I'm putting it out on the Facebook group saying, okay, yep, episodes up. We might not be reachable for the next day or two. We don't know if we're going to have service. Like that happens more often than not. You were, uh, Brittany was telling me earlier about a cave uh, or not a cave, but a mine in Eastern Kentucky that you guys went to. Uh, Brittany, tell me a little bit about that location and what goes on there. And what do you think the causes are for, for what goes on there? Yes, sir. We, it's actually portal 31 down in Lynch, Kentucky. We met a friend of the curator for portal 31 in a very synchronistic way. Our first long trip that we took down to Eastern Kentucky to go to Hellier and to the surrounding area. We met this guy on the County line after a couple of Facebook messages. Uh, his name's Tony and he took us to portal 31 and, and we've been down there a couple more times after, and we've actually done a full investigation there with our cameraman, Tyler. There's definitely, there's been talk about shadow people that was established before we went in and did the investigation sounds, music, uh, a lot of times foreign languages, because a lot of the people who went to these mines and worked in these mines were immigrants and they chose to settle in these camps. They got everything paid for. Uh, the, the whole purpose of working for the coal companies was that your family was taken care of. You, you know, you had to work the hardest labor you'd ever, you could even imagine, but your family was taken care of. You had clothes, you had food, everything, as long as you kept working for the company. And so that was the kind of commitment they had, but they, that's why all the people came from all over to work for these companies, but music, foreign language, you actually had an experience, Bob, at the end of the, uh, the mine shaft by yourself when you were like, Hey guys, I'm going to walk down here by myself being all cocky. Yeah. We, we were with the full group because up to this point, Tony and Nick, Nick is the curator had told us everything from like Brittany said, full bodied apparition, disembodied voices, screaming, people being followed, people being touched, scratched the whole mine. 
And I'm like, you know what? There's like four of you guys up here. Cause it was um, Tyler, Brittany, myself, and then Nick and Tony. And I'm like, I'm going to go down here and see, am I going to see or hear anything? I, I heard some pretty bizarre whispers. We caught a handful of things. And the biggest thing for me was the temperature change. I'm down at the end of this mine shaft by myself and it's hot. You know, it's human in the back of this mine. And all of a sudden it just like, I could see my breath got deathly cold and I'm like, okay, yep. Something's definitely down here. And I'm hearing things. And I'm like, oh, they need to shut up. Like I, I can hear them talking. <laughs> you guys need to shut up. So I'm like, I'm getting agitated. I come back. I'm like, guys, you guys have got to stop talking. And they're like, none of us were talking. None we were, of us were saying anything. We were literally standing at the end of this tunnel at the front of it while he walked all the way down to the back. And we were watching. It was a fog that had rolled in from the I, yeah, back. I forgot about the fog. It had rolled in from the back where he was sitting towards us. And it made it very hard to see him because he turned off his lantern when he was back there. And we were telling him about it. And as soon as he walked back to us, and Tony, next time we talked to him, can validate this as well. It settled and then it disappeared. Yeah. And when Nick looks me in the face, he goes, I've never seen that before. And I'm like, hang on, this is your livelihood. You've been in here thousands of times and you've never seen this before. Day in, day out. He's there at night. He's there during the morning, during the day. It, he he could not explain where that fog was rolling in from. Yeah. And they 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 have launched like a haunted ghost tour of the town. And I think Portal 31 is included, but not in that full capacity. But Portal 31 is a great place to go because it's it, you can go there as a, as a family. It's a family attraction to see what it was like working in a coal mine. But it's like anything else. It's, it's a family attraction with a very dark and twisted history because there have been several men that died in the mine. And like Brittany had touched on earlier when it comes to the phenomenon itself, like why, why I think it's there is hearing the, the gruesome labor they were, they were subject to. There's a lot of remedial energy that's going to be stuck in these areas because they, you know I know where to go and a lot of these guys died on the mine in the mines and I think Nick told us a story. Uh, this mine in particular gave them seven days. If, if the man of the house died, they had seven days to either replace him with a son or with a you know suitable person to yeah. work for the family. Yep, and if they couldn't, they would usually help the family pack up in the middle of town, give them a horse wagon, say, okay, you guys can go, or give them a car, uh, depending on the, the 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 time frame. And so you guys have seven days, you guys got to go. And they would just uproot these families and kick them out. But most of the belongings that they had came from the coal company. So a yeah. lot of these families only packed up a sachet and that's it. Yep. Wow. And what was the time frame when all this stuff happened? When the, when the mines were actually in use? I believe the first year that that company came to the mountains, 1903 is sticking in my head. Yeah, I think okay. might be right. I, we'll have to verify with Tony. It's it's that entire town at one point um, has a bunch of unique history. Like the entire town is haunted. That's that's the the big thing. Um, talking with Tony. Well, and they I, also had wars in the street. They yeah. had warring the the coal workers, the the miners actually warred with each other based on their race. Yep. They had that happening, and then the uh, the bluegrass conspiracy that that tied into Lynch as well, which was something I, I didn't expect because Lynch is a very you blink and you miss it you know type of town. It's basically a it's village. a one strip, yeah, yeah. Um, and and, he, and when I was reading about the bluegrass conspiracy, figuring out that there's things happening there in Lynch and the cornbread mafia, the whole nine had their hands in this town. Um, very unique part of the country that you know you don't have a reason to go to. And that's a big thing that we do on our channel that we, the places that you won't go, we're willing to go because not only do they have a unique history, but it's untapped. And it's a lot of times like, you know, virgin territory, basically. I've toyed with doing a Patreon episode on the cornbread mafia. 
Yeah, it, they're interesting. I don't know a ton about it, to be brutally honest. Um, I, I brushed over the Cornbread Mafia in the 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 book, The Bluegrass Conspiracy, and then um, a handful of times in other like ufological research, it, they've popped up, especially in that area. But granted, given the time frame, the they they were basically all over that Eastern Kentucky as a whole. They they had very strong control over you know whether it be law enforcement or just towns in general that basically they owned at that point in time. So it's it's very interesting to see, you know, true crime and the, and the, the true crime syndicates when they cross over and they blur the lines of the paranormal world. That's that's another thing that Eastern Kentucky and Kentucky in general has over a lot of places in the you know in the areas. Not often you can read about you know Al Capone and then hear about Al Capone telling about ghost stories. And you can find people from the the Cornbread Mafia talking about, okay, I won't go in these mines, I won't go in this part of the, this town because of the weird things that happen there. Like you don't get that you know in say Midwestern Ohio. Right. Man. So tell me, I'll start with you, Brittany. What subject have you covered on the show that you found the most interesting or kind of for whatever reason maybe struck you as a little more near and dear to the heart than others? Honestly, probably the Faye, just because I especially... We haven't really touched on the Fae much on the show. We bring them up, but we haven't done like a full-fledged episode on the Fae or the lore or anything behind it. But with growing up in the area that I did, there were actually traditions that my family did growing up, like having the horseshoe over your door or leaving a shoe out in the front porch. There's certain things that I did growing up that I never knew what they were for, but I I had these habits that, that carried through the generations that actually were Faye based like through the lore and, and the stories that were passed down and going running through the mountains the way I did. I, I was in the woods a lot growing up. There's something out there. I mean, it's very, it's very easy for me to want to be out in the woods. It feels, I don't think of it as just a forest. It feels like something that's actually living and breathing and it's just a certain type of energy that I, I love being around and I love being in the woods and uh, the Fae actually have a lot of stories in the Appalachians and in these areas that we go to. I mean, even a cave that we had gone to in Somerset, the back area behind it has a bunch of not only Bigfoot structures, which are like trees that have been knocked down and, and purposely placed in certain, usually like triangle shapes or you know, certain ways that aren't naturally, like they wouldn't fall and and pl- make these shapes or be twisted in a certain way. But there's also rings of flowers up there. And there's also just a, a different type of energy in that area behind this cave, not only in the cave, but behind it. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've, do, I've never really done an episode completely on the Fae. We did do one on changelings, which kind of, touched on some aspects, uh, uh, you know, from that part, but yeah, it's, it's something that I keep saying that we're going to do a whole episode on. And, and again, you know, well, we've only had five years in our defense to do one. So, <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's, there's so many, especially if you use the broader term of Faye and you don't think of just the small humanoid looking creatures with wings. I mean, there's so many different types of Faye. Anything from garden gnomes to even demon dogs can be classified as fae if you look at it a certain way. 
I mean, it's just such a broad subject. So I'm, I'm constantly learning about that. And I'm still learning about that. But that's definitely been one thing that's been on my mind a lot recently. What about you, Bob? What subject have you tackled that's uh, been one of your favorites or is there one out there that you haven't tackled yet that you definitely want to do? Oh, that's that's a loaded question. So any any listeners of Tales from the Dark is going to know the answer. Anything <laughs> with with John Keel. I was just going to say, everyone take a drink if you're a Tales from <laughs> the Dark podcast listener. Yeah, we, we've got this running joke that every time I mention John Keel, take a shot. And by the end of every episode, mm-hmm. you're be completely blacked out. I saw um, a couple. I was at, last time I was at the bookstore and uh, I was digging through because I dig through all these old paranormal books to come up with ideas and research and stuff. And every once in a while I run across a John kill book, but I still haven't bought any yet. And to be honest with you, uh, the most of what I know about John kill is what I learned off of hell. You're one and two. So you just I, broke Bob's heart yeah, a little bit. Um, it's a, it's a dangerous, dangerous path because next thing you know, you're going to be every Wednesday night at 10 PM. You're going to be out at some overlook looking for a UFO. But see, uh, I won't because <laughs> just like you said, if any if anybody listens to you or if they listen to me, they know that the cryptids and UFOs are two things that I have very little interest in. And I'll find a, a story that occasionally will, you know, draw my interest just because it was a little bit different and we'll talk about it. Uh, but that's why we very seldom cover any kind of uh, cryptids or uh, UFOs on our stories. It's just, I just aren't that fast. I believe I completely believe in both of them. I'm just not that fascinated about. That's that's a good answer there, Jerry. You better believe. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I mean, me, it's, it's the unified theory. It's so, I I mean, I, we kind of mentioned this. I've been doing paranormal. I I grew up watching taps on TV. um, And I mean, like old school 240p taps where the, I'm pretty sure it wasn't actually night vision. It was just a green filter sci-fi put on. That that's that's my era of when I got involved with ghost hunting. So I've been doing this. I, I remember me and Tyler being 13, 14 year old kids hearing stories about houses, going and knocking on their door, like, hey, we hear your house is haunted. We're here to help. And they're like, get, get the fuck out of here. What are you talking about? No, absolutely not. Um, so so I always had a fascination with the paranormal, but then as I, I started discovering Keel and then Charles Fort, Charles Fort's another one that's near and dear to my heart. Um, learning about the unified theory. And thinking, what if it's all interconnected? What if that ghost isn't just a ghost because of residual, it's a residual haunting? What if that's a part of this giant phonograph in the sky that has been on repeat for hundreds of thousands of years, guiding us towards something? And once in a generation, you'll have a hell you're like crew pay attention and be like, oh shit. Yeah, this makes perfect sense if you look at it outside of the box. If you don't think of it as a, singular haunt or a singular phenomenon. If you look at this in a broad spectrum, this all starts to make sense. And so I love anything, anything to, if I can talk John Keel for 10 minutes, I'm always going to do it. Um, because I, I, when I, when you look at it that way, and I, I think about all the hauntings I, I tried to cover in my youth and the ways that I tried to explain things out of, Oh, well, that's a Bigfoot call, or that's a werewolf or that's a mothman or whatever I'm like oh that's all nonsense and then when I'm, i really sat down and thought about how many times these come up you know a, a mothman call for example will come up in a poltergeist story and you would never think to comp- you'd never think to interconnect those things ever and then when you start looking at it as a, a, and you start to kind of actually research and be able to identify these different traits with these different cryptids and then throw them into the paranormal world you'll start to see a lot more overlaps than you're probably prepared for. 
And something that they, they talked about in Hellier a little bit, and I know they've talked about it on uh, the Euphemet podcast quite a few times, is what happens when, because like right now it's, it's separated into camps. You have your paranormal groups, you have your ufologicals, and you have your cryptid hunters. And that's, that's it. Those are, those are the big groups when it comes to the paranormal. So now if you start interconnecting those and you get a Bigfoot expert with a Jerry Polly who knows a lot about the paranormal and then me, who's on the ufological side and you and you know, Jerry, you're telling me this is definitely a poltergeist because of this. And I say, okay, well, that noise you heard is identical to one that I covered in a different story or that I noticed during a UFO sighting. And someone's like, okay, well, these footprints outside are definitely Bigfoot tracks. You start comparing them all as the same, your eyes start to open to maybe it's all interconnected. And that's why with me, when I think about the unification theory, A, it's kind of a cop-out. It's an easier way to explain things, but it's also something that we're not looking at. And when you look at something indirectly long enough, and then you look at it directly, the perspective changes grossly. And that's what you do with a lot of these paranormal cases, like Waverly is a great example of that as well. When you look at the old Waverly hauntings, it's like, okay, maybe that wasn't a child that ran through. Maybe that was a cryptid that they caught running through the hallway on that thermal cam. Now you're just being crazy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what's going through my head. Not all the time. That's, think, that's our 3 a.m. conversation. Yeah. Brittany, I can't sleep. Here's what's on my mind. And then we stay up till 6 a.m. I'm like, Bob, shut the fuck up. Let's well, go to bed. <laughs> but no, I, if you think about it though, I mean, they, Keel talks about this in the eighth tower at lengths. That once, once a century, I mean, this goes back to, if we, if we want to talk biblical times, Saul of Taurus saw a blinding light and suddenly he had this, you know, third eye, basically the ability to see things differently. We can compare these, these unique events throughout history so many times over and say, well, maybe it's not a religious thing. Again, not knocking religion in any way, shape or form, but maybe, maybe we're looking at, we're, we're assuming we're assigning religion where it's actually paranormal. And if we look at what happens after this, they saw start, they saw you know falling rocks from the sky, they saw crafts. And we go back to Egyptian times. Same thing happened with with during the uh, when they talk about Osiris, like the, the exact same things have occurred hundreds of thousands of times throughout history. Over and over and over yeah, again. And that's where I get the great phonograph in the sky. It's on repeat. We're just assigning different roles to it every time instead of looking at maybe it's all interconnected. And we're refinding, rediscovering these things every couple of generations. Yep. I mean, you can literally go back to, uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but uh, Keel talks about it in the eighth tower who wrote this book. He thought he was gonna be famous. He sold all of his possessions. He left his wife and kids. Nobody bought the book. Then people were comparing, scholars were comparing this a hundred years later to other books that were written basically saying the same exact thing, just different dates, times, and scenarios. It's like, okay, well, how many times has this actually happened? And then you verify, oh, this happens hundreds of times throughout history. People writing the exact same thing from different walks of life, different parts of the world, different geographic locations at, at times where there was no interconnecting and there was no email, but they're still having the same exact occurrences over and over and over. Well, why is that? And that's the advantage that our generation has as well. But we're I, too busy fighting on Twitter. I think I think that it's plausible. Uh, I. I kid you, but I do think that it is possible. And, and, you know, I do think I was, I can't remember who I was listening to. It was on Jim Harold's uh, paranormal podcast, but this guy was basically saying the same thing that, you know, our existence, you know, like eventually there's going to be an end of the end of the world. And I don't mean that from a biblical sense. I mean, humanity is going to die out for whatever reason. And then it's all going to start over again. And it's like, you know, where we are now, other other eras 
have been at. And then that their population died out. And then we start over again. And it's just like you said, it just rehappens over and over and over again. Now, there are some people like uh, I've told the story. I don't know how many times, but it's still funny to me. Uh, Steve Cole, obviously uh, uh, famous Bigfoot hunter. I, I was talking to him outside of Scarefest up in Lexington one time, and I made the mistake of bringing up, hey, do you think it's possible that Bigfoot could be an alien? And uh, I got the biggest tongue lashing I could ever expect to get. I was, uh, you'd have thought that I attacked his dog or something the way he came. <laughs> he was oh telling me gosh. that, oh, no, I mean, let me tell you why this isn't the case. And I actually brought I brought Steve on the show and told him, I had him rehash that. And uh, so some people will not even think that that's a possibility. But at the same time, I was talking to Johnny e. L. Tenney. And of course, John from Hell Your Fame as well. John told me that he you'd be surprised how many times there has been a Bigfoot sighting that the person who had the sighting, once you talked to him, remembered that soon before, right before the sighting, they saw a flash of light somewhere. Uh, whether that be, uh, I don't know, like a, a possible UFO or whatever deal is, but there were a lot of people that had Bigfoot sightings that remembered a really bright flash of light sometime right before their sighting. So that was his way of saying that he thinks that some of this is all connected. Oh yeah. It, it all goes hand in hand. I mean, I I've had, had some more conversations. Um, that, that's what's so funny. Is I, I've heard the exact same thing. Uh, the amount of times I've looked into this kind of stuff and one always, almost always closely follows another. And literally like Brittany had a, we had a run and we were doing a video about Randonautica, the app. Oh my gosh. And we had this super weird running at a disc golf course off in the woods of all places. Like we, the, we were, so we, do you know what Randonautica is? No, here? I was getting ready to ask you to explain that. So we could all be on the same page. So Randonautica is this app. It's, it's like an adventuring app and it, it basically deals with intention, like manifesting what you want to see, what you want to do. Um, and it generates these random coordinates near your area. So you, you do have to put your location in, um, have, have access to your location and it generates these coordinates for you to go to. So you'll think of something that says red, for example, and we actually have a video where we filmed going to these locations, um, after the intent was put in. And so one of the coordinates we put, I said, red. We saw a red umbrella across the street. We saw a lady in a red shirt. Um, And again, it could be looking for stuff, but it's also recognizing it could be a synchronicity. Yeah. So the lot, we did three coordinates. The third one, we, like Bob said, it took us to a a disc golf course. I think your intention was something scary. Ghostly. Ghostly. That's what it was. Yeah. It was something ghostly or something like that. And so we go to this disc golf course and the coordinates are in the middle. So you know how in Ohio they have like sections of trees, like in fields. Yes. So it was basically in the middle of a section of trees in this disc golf course. So we had to walk through the thicket and through the trees to get to this area. Bob is in front of me filming uh, as we're walking through the forest and he sees something which we later had to slow down on the computer run across from our right-hand side by a tree trunk all the way in front of us and disappears into the thicket. Yeah. It, it scared the hell out of me. Cause my, my predator prey instinct kicked in. Cause like 
You even uh, said it in the video. Yeah. You I, stopped and you said, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Well, cause like not, not it's very infrequent, especially in Ohio that I'm, I grew up hunting and, and fishing and being outside my entire youth. Very rarely is something larger than me in Ohio wildlife. Like it just doesn't like, we don't have bears. We don't have, I mean, Southern Ohio technically has bears, but we don't count Southern Ohio. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but very infrequently is there something in wildlife that's larger than I, I I'm, I'm almost six foot eight. I'm a large man, like very infrequently is something larger than me. And I recognize this thing, whatever it was in front of me was bigger than I was and was moving faster than I could track it. And thankfully I had the common sense to have my camera pointed directly at it. So we caught it on film, but not even a, a full month later, Brittany has, you know, we're seeing UFOs in the sky. We're seeing all this weird stuff that followed this, you know, what I'm assuming was a, a Bigfoot or some something. I'm not, we don't even, I don't even want to call it Bigfoot. We saw some weird creature out in the woods and then we're followed by all like a synchronicity storm of paranormal activity, whether that be UFOs, whether that be stuff in the house, whatever you want to call it. It just was weird to see how this all interconnected afterwards. Yeah. And, and seeing it in person, like I'd read about it hundreds of times, but seeing it actually happen and occur in real time, that, that was something completely different and completely unexpected. The weirdest thing for me about that video is it, it's very hard to see like on a cell phone screen. When we actually went down to Kentucky, we showed a couple of our contacts down there who are avid hunters in the area. We showed them the video and they ended up have to pull it up on like on a monitor. But at the beginning of the video, when it gets up and starts running, whatever it is in the sunlight, it, there was a break in the canopy above it of the treetop. Sunlight was shining down and you can see its elbow and it throws up what looks like a Gatorade bottle and it lands when, the, by the time the bottle lands, it's already almost out of view. Yeah. And, and people, you know, they try to convince you, Bob, this is a deer. This is a deer that you saw. First off, I've never seen a deer this large and I've never seen a deer pump its arms like Usain Bolt while running through, through the woods. Yeah. Like, that's the one thing people are like, I don't know what that is, but I can definitely see it pumping its arms. You guys just sped this clip up. I'm like, okay, so I slowed down a sped up clip. Sure. I mean, there's always gonna be naysayers. And that's the thing, like we, we didn't know what we found. And we were very careful when we put it out for the public. Like, I think we titled like strange creature sighted or something. That's like, what, yeah. We had no idea what it is. I still to this day have no idea what it is. But then again, to see what followed after seeing this creature was just, it was astounding because it just kind of, validated my theories throughout the years of maybe this all is interconnected and it's happening one after the, the next, whether you want it to or not, and whether you're going to connect the dots or not, that's up to you, but it's going to happen regardless. And it's still happening to this day. I mean, just a month and a half ago, I saw a UFO down in uh, the other side of Ohio towards the West Virginia border. Yeah. Brittany has a full on like video where she's like, I, the, the amount of people that have, that have clipped that there's one quote, by Brittany that I've seen in the Facebook group hundreds of times, which is, are we about to get abducted? I don't know. Let's fucking go. And I'm like, <laughs> a, a normal person would never say, am I about to get abducted? Let's go. That's usually, what is that in the sky? I'm getting away from it. Brittany tracked this thing through an entire town, like over five miles. Yeah. was tracking this thing down to try and figure out what it was, film the entire thing. And I'm just like, we're not normal. We shouldn't be allowed around the general public. <laughs> <laughs> so the video you shot of the, uh, quote unquote deer this everybody likes to call it is this up on youtube is this something people can go find yes yeah, yeah. if you go to youtube.com slash tales from the dark and then just search randonautica it'll pop up um or if you just go through my video feed you'll find it on there pretty quickly okay i'll start saying because me spelling that word is not going to happen I'll, I'll search through your feed 
Yeah, literally R A N D O, and it'll pull up Randonautica. No, I was starting to say I'll be putting in retro erotica or something. I'll end up something that I wouldn't plan on seeing. Not that I wouldn't enjoy it or spend thirty minutes watching it, but that's not the point. That wasn't my initial intent. I was going to say, Jerry, you're trying to tell us something right now. We need to have an intervention. <laughs> yeah, I, I, 30, 40 minutes of porn, I'm done with it. Because by that time, the screen started to irritate my nose. And it's just, uh, we're done with it. So, Tracy, avert your ears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. All right. So, I, and I, I don't know how we got an hour into this and have failed to mention, you guys are going to be at the Louisville show. Uh, with uh, Nick and Rob, the Brohio guys, and uh, Tom and Andrea from We Drink and We Know Things. You guys are going to emcee it. Yes, sir. I, I know this will be your first live event that you've actually participated in as far as uh, these types of shows, correct? Yes, sir. Will- Willingly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. We don't talk about Brohio's incident. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they kind of threw you under the bus at the live event up in Ohio. Yeah, no, it, it, it was fun. It was all in good fun, but it was just like, I've never felt so awkward in one place. Cause your, like it, your face was so red. Well, it was just, we were there. Like we didn't plan to go. I, we got a message like 30 minutes before. I'm like, Hey guys, if you guys want to come out you, know, you can be our special guest. I'm like, sure. Yeah. We just, you know, we're flying to the radar. We'll stop by. Uh, and then people started like, like recognizing us nobody through by our voices. And that was weird. Cause that's like, we've never done a fan meet or anything. So when people started recognizing our voices, like, wait, what's your name? What? Hang on a second. I know you. And I'm like, no, you don't No, you, no, you <laughs> what don't are you talking about. But yeah, that, I mean, that was really nice. <laughs> and you really can't, fun. you can't really keep a low profile at six foot eight either. Just so you know. Yeah. I, so I tried to remain seated, seated as long as I possibly could. Then I stood up next to Nick. He looks like my son. You know, it's just, <laughs> it was just an awkward thing for everybody. In my mind, I thought I'm like, oh, Nick's like a regular size person. He's not. No. If you guys never, never had a chance to go to one of the live shows, Nick's about four foot six. Uh, on a good day. <laughs> seven, seven feet around. <laughs> I was going to say six foot sitting down, but that works too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, we can't wait to, uh, to have you guys participate. So if you, if you want to meet obviously Bob and Brittany in person and, and kind of see a little bit of what they do, then you can come to the live show in Louisville. That's August 21st. Bro, I'll be there. We drink and we know things. As told Tracy, I said, it's funny. It's our uh, anniversary show, our five-year anniversary, and we will be the only clean show there. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I mean, first off, though, seriously, congratulations on five years. I can't imagine having to sit in a room with Brittany for five years and make, make quality content. So you guys have killed it for the last five years. We really appreciate the opportunity for you having us on the show. If you oh, hear Nintendo crash here in just a second, you know why, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, we, we've been glad to have you guys on. As I tell everybody, go to Tales from the Dark, subscribe today. Please leave them a nice review and make sure you put in a review that you heard about them on Hillbilly Horror Stories so they know that you, you're getting at least some kind of response from being on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, we really Thank appreciate you, Jerry. that. Thank you. So, all right, guys, it's been a pleasure and I'll be seeing you soon. Uh, We're looking at a month and a half now. Yep. We're excited. We're counting down the days. All right. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Thank you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed Bob and Brittany. Come by Louisville, the the show, August 21st. I guess you can get tickets at hillbillyhorrorstories.com and say hi to everybody. I mean, how much more fun can you have than to meet them, the Brohio guys, Nick and Rob? 
then obviously Andrea and Tom mm-hmm. can know things. And in case you hadn't heard, we'll be there too. So <laughs> it's, We're looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. So can't wait to meet everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. You guys have a blessed week.